So I was listening. Did you guys hear anything? No. Well, I didn't either. <laughs> We're listening really closely, but good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, I want to take a moment and just recognize what was just said. Did you hear the number of boxes? Okay, that, a large part of that, before we give them a hand, but a large, some of you guys did that, but a large part of that was uh, our 1025 students. Amen? Wasn't that cool? So let's, I'd like to recognize them. You guys did awesome, wherever you are. That was fantastic. Hey, uh, do you ever wonder, you know, speaking of doing things that mean something and that are actually significant in the lives of others, do you ever wonder if what you do matters? I think that all of us come to a point at some point in our lives or various points in our lives where we say, I wonder, is what I'm doing, does it even, does it matter, Right? Now, we live in a world that most of us have all heard the story about the butterfly that flaps its wing down in the Amazon jungle, right? And sets off a chain of events that then causes a hurricane up in the North Atlantic. We know about that. So we know in our heads that every little thing that we do matters. Everything has consequences. Everything sets off a ripple of effects that impact and have consequences. So we know even the smallest things that we do, the smallest lie that we tell, the smallest kindness that we show all has this ripple. So there are consequences, but we still, we ask the question, do, is what I'm doing, does it even, does it matter? James 1.27 is talking about things that matter, things that matter to God. Now we've heard James, he's talked to us, he's told us about, we need to learn how to listen well. We need to learn how to follow up that listening with doing. We need to learn how to think before we speak. But today we're gonna be talking about what are these things that God actually wants us to do when he speaks to us? So let's stand together. Let's hear what God has to say through his servant, James, in James 1.27, one verse. And it says this, pure and undefiled religion is in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. You guys, there's a lot of things we can do with our time and our energy and with our lives. There are many things we can be investing in. Today's message is simply titled, Do What Matters. Amen? Father, this morning, we want to be open to hear from you. We want to hear from your word and not just take it in and hear, but really listen so that it goes to our hearts, that you plant it deeply in us, that it transforms who we are how we think, how we see this world, and because of that, how we live, what we do, so that we would be those who do what matter. We want to be like your son, Jesus. We want to be shaped by him. We want to live like he did. We want to reflect him in every aspect of our lives, and we know that what he did mattered. It mattered to us. It mattered to this world. It matters for eternity. Father, teach us through your Holy Spirit this morning Teach us how to be those people, how to be your people, how to let the life of Christ, let the life of your spirit live through us and in us so that we too would be those who do the things that matter, the things that change lives, the things that actually make a difference for eternity. We pray these things. 
for your glory, Father. We love you. We pray these things in your name. We pray these things, Jesus, for you in your name, that you might be lifted up. And Holy Spirit, we pray these things in your name because it's by your power alone, by your presence alone, that we can even, that we are brought into life and live this life out. So in your name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the second church that I ever worked in, it was a large church. I had a very large staff. I was not the senior pastor there. I was the middle school director. Now, what that meant was I was a pastor for about 150 seventh and eighth graders. Now, I want you to close your eyes and just imagine that congregation, (laughs) right? You know, the butterfly wing, right? That's the chaos theory. You guys have heard of that, right? Well, you want to know about chaos theory up close? Be a junior high pastor for 150 seventh and eighth graders. Even in that chaos, though, I saw God work. And you say, well, why would he work there? Why why don't we just wait till they grow up, till they're more manageable? No, because even when we, or when our children, or when those we see, even when we're in seventh and eighth grade, even when we're younger than that, our lives matter to God. Why? Because what we do matters. Everything we do, he made us in order that the ripples that go out from us would be this blessing in the lives of others, no matter what age, what season of life we're in. We matter. Now, because that staff, that was a side note, that was a freebie for you guys, but because that staff was so big, we used to go on fall retreats every year. And uh, part of it was to lay out the goals for that year. Part of it was to just get to, get to know each other because it was a large uh, a large group of people, about 40 of us. One of the years that we did this, we went out and we, we engaged in this exercise. And what we were supposed to do is to take, take this list of about 30 items and pick the top 10 that we think we would need. Imagine that we had uh, crash landed in a desert and these are the top 10 items that we would take if we needed them to survive. And on that list were things like, you know, there's a piece of of uh, uh, like a a mirror, there was a big parachute, there was a flashlight. But my favorite item on that list, the one that stuck with me over the years was, it it had a book, just said a book. And all of us looked at that and we're thinking, you know, if we're crash landing in the desert, the last thing we're gonna be doing is sitting around reading a book. So nobody picked the book, but it ends up that a book's good for a lot more things than just reading, for example. A book's good for if you need to start a fire. It's good tinder. A book is good for toilet paper. And we all know that's important. A a book is good if you crumple up the pages and you pad inside your clothing. It adds an extra layer of insulation. And so the book was actually on the top 10 list that they suggested for survival in the desert. And we had all passed it up because we were looking at it kind of uh, all wrong. Overall, I have found... That that experience, though, it, what it showed me was that, you know, when it comes to making choices, if they're choices about just your own survival, that in that moment, what I had been given was this, uh, this ability to just be, you know, be completely selfish and say, what are the top things that I would pick so that I can survive for my benefit? And when it, it, those kind of decisions are very, very easy, aren't they? Right? If, if you know that whatever you pick, it doesn't have any consequences for anybody else, That's an easy decision to make. But those are not the decisions that we usually face in our life, are they? 
Most of the decisions, what makes them hard is that we know that we live in a world that's connected. We know that there are butterflies right now flapping their wings down in South America that we have to worry about. We know that everything has this, this trail of circumstances that follow it, that cascade behind it. So we know that the, the greater, the harder decisions is to decide in that grander scheme of things of what can I choose, what can I do that is going to have not just good consequences, not just good impact for me, but that as it travels downstream, it's going to be a blessing to those who are behind me, who have to deal with the aftermath of my decision. They have to deal with the, the uh, results and that cascade. We have to decide, we're trying to decide, we're trying to figure out what are the things I can do that truly matter, that truly make a difference. In this life, we are all trying to make a positive impact on this world. We're trying to leave a legacy that has lasting good. So we're asking the question, what can I do that truly matters? June, uh, James helps us out. James helps us out in this, uh, in this sense because he gives us two things. He says, I want you to know that he, these are two things that matter. And not only that, these are two things that if God had his list out of the thousands of things he could pick, and he had to pick his top list, these would be two of the things that would definitely be on that list. These are the things that not only matter, should matter to us, but matter to God. He says these are pure and undefiled religion. Now, last week we saw that this word that he uses for religion, it means these are these pure and undefiled expressions, outward actions that reflect a true inner faith, a faith and a trust in this God who we know, an understanding of who he is. These are expressions of that, pure and undefiled. Visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself unstained by the world. Now, what's funny to me is when we look at that list and we go, eh, right? It kind of reminds me of our group as we're looking at that list and we saw the book there and we're like, eh, who wants the book? Because we look at that and we say, what, what can come of, okay, so we take care of some people that, are, that you know, some people that need some help. What good can come of that? What impact can, can that really have on the world? Because, I mean, why wouldn't God put something like, you know, find the cure to cancer or rally some, you know, a bunch of voters to go out and for some humanitarian cause? Let's do that. Let's have a, a food drive for the homeless. Let's do that. Why didn't God have those on his top two, his top 10 list? But as we look through history, the truth is, is that we find that God is pretty consistent in this. It doesn't matter if we look in the Old Testament law. doesn't matter if we look at the prophets. doesn't matter if we look at his son, Jesus. doesn't matter if we look at those who wrote in the New Testament after Jesus had left. He consistently tells us, you know what? Taking care of widows and orphans. Taking care of the widows and the orphans. This is, this is like this, um, this keystone, this, this centerpiece what God says, this is what we need to be doing that matters. He kept saying it almost like his people kept forgetting it. And alongside of that, he would also consistently say, and keep yourself unstained by the world. Almost like his people kept trying to cozy up to the world, trying to fit into it. So these are the two things that we want to take a look at this morning. Because these, James says, are pure and undefiled Religion, a pure and undefiled expression of what God hopes is a true faith in our hearts.
These are the things that matter. So why is it so hard for us? Why, why do we look at a list like that and we, we tend to go, eh, you know, we, we tend to say, well, those are important, but man, you know, I can think of 10 things that are more important than that. Why do we fail to see the importance of these things? Well, the answer to that question, it goes, our problem, you know, goes all the way back. You go back to the beginning of the human story. Adam and Eve are sitting in their garden and God tells them, you know, you can do almost anything here, but there's one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did it. They did it anyway. And as a result of that, there's this cascade of events that we believe has become kind of the basis for all the sin, all the brokenness, all the harm, all the hurt that we see in the world came from that one decision, that one decision to do that one thing, to do what God had said not to do and to eat that. Now we look at that and we say, well, what did that mean? What did it mean that they gained the knowledge of good and evil? Now, a lot of people think that what it meant was they already knew good, but now all of a sudden they knew what evil was too. And they got to choose that as well. But if you look closely at the story, what it's really saying is that up until that point, they had been living purely in the word of God, what God had said. They just were doing what he had said they could do and what they should be doing. They were cultivating and keeping the garden. They were eating the other, you know, from the fruit of the other trees. They were doing what God had said. And they knew that God's word was attached to blessing, not just for them, but it had Positive consequences that would follow because that's what God's word does in its purity, when it's undiluted, when it's unmingled and uncontaminated. But the moment they ate that tree, the moment they stepped out of that and they decided to do the thing that God said not to do, not only did they learn what evil looked like, what evil felt like, they not only learned about just doing the thing but also the consequences that follow. They not just learned about that, but it all became blended together. All options became their options. Prior to that, it was just we're living in God's word. Now it's we know good, we know evil, but it never said that they could distinguish between the two. How many times do we choose something that we hope is good, but it ends up having terrible consequences? Ever done that? You hope that you're choosing the best thing. How many times do you get in a situation and you look down and you try and look downstream and you go, you know what? I don't have a good and a bad decision here. I just have a a bad or a worse decision here. How many times do we, we see that it's hard to choose and to do something that matters, something that's good, something that God would want us to do? It's hard to even see what that might be because we can't even see far enough to know what the impact's gonna be. If we actually look at our, his, our history, what we find is that we find that there are those who, um, that when we decide to choose, that when we, des- when we develop something, we develop it for good, but it actually ends up doing good, but it also ends up doing harm. How many of the machines that we have made to, to quicken the process of making good items have also torn up people's lives because they've actually literally torn them to pieces. How many, how many of you guys remember, <laughs> I remember when the microwave first came out. That dates me a little bit, but I remember it was gonna save all kinds of time because you didn't have to spend all that time in the kitchen. How many of your lives have become less cluttered and less hurried since the microwave came out <laughs> or since the computer came out or since the cell phone came out? Anyone? 
Are your lives easier now? Do you have less that you have to work? No. We meant it for good. We had no idea of the consequences. Why? Because we live in a world where we have the knowledge of not just good, not just good or evil, but good and evil. And they're all mashed together. And we can't tell the difference sometimes. We try to choose those things. And yet they end up sometimes doing more harm than they do good. So what can we do about that? Basically, James, he goes back in this section and what he's been saying, he says, learn how to listen again. Learn how to listen to God. Learn how to get back in that place where you hear God's word. You can trust God's word. You can trust that if you do what he says, only good will follow because that's what God's word does. So learn to listen again to what God has always said, the things that he has always said to do. Don't be listening to this world and what it says to do. That how it says to dilute, how it dilutes, uh, but instead learn how to enter into that place where you're connected to those things that are connected to God and do those things. And two of those things, James says, is visit the orphan and the widows in their distress and keep yourself unstained by the world. So what do those things mean? Well, in Jesus and James Day, widows and orphans, that phrase had a literal meaning. Because for a woman without a husband, for a, a child without a father, they were stuck. They were in a bad situation. They were in a situation where they had no standing. They had no legal protection. They had almost like no existence in their society. Anyone could swoop in and they could take what was seen as what had been their husband's land, their father's house, the man's possessions. They could come in and just take it and they would be left out on the street. And for that reason, the death of a father, the death of a husband was really almost a death sentence for the rest of his family. And so James says, take care of them. But that phrase, widows and orphans, had really come to almost be a, a, a symbol for a lot larger category of people. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, when God first gave 1,500 years prior to this, when God had given his law to his people, and God had given, and he had spelled it out through Moses, he said, you know, the widows, the orphans, but he also said the foreigners who are living among you, those who are sojourning in your land. Well, why them? Well, because they, they didn't have land. Everyone else had land. The foreigner was not able to grow crops. They were not able to raise cattle or livestock. So they, couldn't, they had no way of, of really of seeing God's blessing and the money. They had, no, they had no standing in their courts. They had no place in the law that was given to Israel. So God said, give them protection as well, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. Now, in the time of James and Jesus, it was actually the foreigners that had the power. You wonder, well, why doesn't James mention them here? Well, maybe because the Romans were actually in control. It was the Jewish people that were actually subjects in their own land. So that may be why James doesn't mention them, because the foreigners have the power. You don't have to necessarily take care of them, but widows and orphans still. Here's this category of those who are in need, those who are still um, helpless, powerless, on the fringes sometimes of their society. Now, I think one of the questions that comes up in this, and I don't want to get all political, but I do want us to think. How about in our day? Would God be calling us to those who find themselves in this country without legal standing, without a way to make money, without place, 
without protection, would he be calling us to harm or to help? According to James, I think we need to think about it. Jesus goes even further. Matthew 25, he talks about when the judgment comes and when those are divided at the judgment between those who will enter into life and those who will be, have separated themselves from that by their actions, what are the actions that he talks about? He talks about those who fed the hungry. He talks about those who clothed the naked. He talks about those who invited in, and we say the stranger, that was invited in, again, the foreigner, the outsider. He also says those who visited the sick, those who went to those who are in prison. You guys, all of these are the category of what James was talking about when he talks about, if we want to translate that into our day, we need to say not just widows and orphans, not just literally those who have, uh, that are without a husband or without a father, but those who are on the fringes of our society, those who are powerless on the edges, who need protection, who needs help, who need help in, in our society. He said, God is always saying, that this is a undeniable, undefiled expression of a heart that has a true faith, a true commitment to the Lord our God is if we are taking care of the powerless, taking care of those who need help and need protection, who need a voice. And he has said it consistently, whether it was through his law that was given in Moses, whether it was through his prophets who called his people back, whether it was through his son Jesus, or now through the words of James, who is actually the brother of Jesus. So the question for us, I think in, in regards to this thing that we can do that matters, we need to ask, well, who are those people then? Who are those people that are within our reach? Who are those people that are on the fringe of our society that I actually have access to, that I could actually be making a difference in their life? Who are they? They may be. They may be the widow or the orphan, but what about the refugee? We have refugees and immigrants pouring into our, into our state regularly. What about them? Do we have the ability to impact their lives and to come alongside? What about the, the ex-con who has served time and now they're out into society again, but they can't find a job because of their record? They can't, they can't find employment. They can't find housing. They can't. What about them? What about those who are currently uh, in prison? What about those who are currently unemployed? What about those who are hospitalized? What about those who, who struggle with mental illness? Maybe they're wandering the streets. Maybe they're holed up in a home somewhere. What about those elderly whose families literally put them in a home and abandon them? What about them? Are there those in our lives that are within our reach that we have the ability to actually live this out? Because James says, these are the things that matter. These are pure and undefiled religion. What does the phrase mean that it says to visit them in their distress? It doesn't mean to go have a cup of coffee. It may include that, but it doesn't mean you just limit it to that. When God, tell me this, when God visited you, in your distress, whether it was the distress of a life that you were living separated from him or whether it was a life that you had forgotten who he was and you found you felt like you were separated from him and you were in a, a, just a horrible situation, 
When God visited you in your distress, did he just come and have a cup of coffee and just check in and say, just check in and make sure you're still okay? No, God comes and he brings whatever it takes to assist us and to provide for us what he calls rescue or salvation. And he, he went to the extent even that he said, I'll even go to the cross. I'll lay down my own life if that's what it takes to rescue you. That's what it means to visit in distress. And James says, we visit those who are on the fringes, who are powerless, who are helpless, who need that assistance. We visit them, willing to do whatever it takes in order to bring them to a better place, in order to see them protected, standing on their feet. He says, that's pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. Amen? Amen? Second, so what does it mean to be, keep ourselves unstained by the world? You know, a lot of times when we hear that, these two are tied together. They're not separate. They go together, and this one reinforces the first one. You know, when we hear keep yourself unstained by the world, a lot of times what we think of is we think of like this list of do's and don'ts. And I grew up in churches that had a lot of lists of do's and don'ts. For instance, they had a rule that we could not even play go fish with a deck of, of face cards right? But we could sit there on like a youth retreat and we could gamble away. We could gamble away our life savings if we wanted to, as long as we used rook cards. Do you know what rook cards are? Rook are from the game rook. They just don't have the faces on them. I'm going, at some point you go, that's a weird rule, right? We, we had a rule that you could not, you could not go see even the, the, the greatest G-rated movie and we couldn't even go see The Cross and the, not The Cross and the Switch, Hiding Place by Billy Graham. Couldn't go see it in a movie theater. But we could watch whatever we wanted as long as it was playing at the YMCA or on the TV at our home. And at some point, you, you look at that and you go, that's just a weird rule. The, the rules are not what he's talking about, about what makes us, keeps us unstained. It's not that don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with those who do, you know, right? It's not about that. What does it mean to be unstained? The other time that James uses this word stained in his book is back in the passage, that some verses we looked at last week. James 3, 6, he says this. The tongue is set among our members as that which is able to defile, is able to stain the whole body, Okay? And we looked at that and we saw that when Jesus, you know, Jesus had taught on that, he said, it's not what we eat that defiles us, it's what comes out of our mouth that defiles us. Our mouths are able to defile the whole body. But James takes this and he raises it to a whole different level. And he says, you know what he's talking about? The tongue he's talking about, the body he's talking about is not just the, the one individual's body. The body he's talking about is the church. And the tongue he's talking about is not just the individual's mouth. The tongue he's talking about is the one who teaches. You look at the first verse of chapter three, you see that he's addressing this to teachers. He says, the teacher has the ability to defile the whole body, to stain the whole body. How? Through their teaching. The teacher who, who preaches hate can teach a body how to, heat, how to hate. Teach a whole church how to hate and defiles the body. A teacher who preaches greed can teach a whole body how to be greedy, and defiles the whole body. How are we defiled? How are we stained by the world? 
We listen to the teachings of the world. Again, this is the thing that got Adam and Eve in trouble, right? They listened to teaching other than God's word, God's teaching. They became defiled. They became cluttered. They became all meshed in. We're good and evil. We're all, they couldn't tell the difference anymore. How do we become stained? How do we become defiled? We listen to teaching other than what God is teaching us. So, for example, God says, you know what? Here's this person that you can go help. You can come alongside. They're on the fringes. They need, they need assistance. They need protection. They need care. You can do that. And, and, and that's what we should go do. But instead, we hear this other voice, right? We hear this other voice and it says, no, you got too much going on. It's important stuff. Let someone else take care of that person. Let someone else come alongside and do the work that God says is so important. But you need to do this because this, you need it. You need it for you. You deserve it. You deserve this break. You deserve this, what you're earning and the benefits that you'll get out of this. You, you live, let someone else do that. That's, that's the voice of the world. God never said that. God never says that. He doesn't say, pass up the person in need so that you can seek your own life. He never says that. By doing that, by listening to that teaching, by being shaped by it, we're being framed by, we're being stained by the world, right? He says, don't let yourself be stained by the world. Keep yourself unstained by the world. Sometimes we say, sometimes God says, you know what? You need to pay attention to your family. You need to make sure that they don't become the ones in distress by the way that you're, you're neglecting them. With all that you're doing out here, the way that you're either finding significance for yourself in your, in your job or your position, and you're neglecting this, this unit of people that God has put in your reach, or maybe it's that you're even doing so many good things at church, you're doing so many good things outside of church for God, that you're neglecting your family. He says, God never told you to do that. God never told you to allow your family to become the ones who are in distress and broken because of all that you're doing. But to hear this, you guys, we have to learn how to what? We learn how to listen to God, hear his voice. And he says, and keep yourself unstained by the other voices, by the world. In Psalm 119, the, prayer, the writer, he prays, he says, how can someone keep their life pure? He says, by keeping according to your word, your word, God's word. Now, you guys, just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that our kids aren't going to run off and do something that's kind of crazy. And, and, and just because we, we, we actually do, we pour into their lives, we love them, we care for them, it doesn't mean that something isn't going to go wrong. That's, the, that's what happens in this world. It's a broken place. There are a lot more ripples going out than just the ones that we send out. But what we want to ask ourselves is, am I doing the thing that matters? Am I doing the thing that will have the effect that God intended? When we say we need, he says that when we do the things that God says to do, when we take care of the widows and the orphans, those in need, when we take care of those who are within our realm to care for, and particularly those who are vulnerable, he says, and we don't listen to the other voices. We are doing pure, we are, this is pure and undefiled religion. This is what he calls us to. You guys, I want to tell you a, a bit of history. In 312, around 312 AD, 
the, uh, the emperor of the Roman Empire was Constantine. And somewhere in that year, he said that he had converted to Christianity. Now, there are those who question that conversion and how sincere he was. But he said that he saw a vision of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you'll carry the sign of the cross into battle, I'll, I'll be with you. And I'll give you victory. And, and so since that time, many historians and many church historians have said it was a beautiful thing because at that moment, the church through this kind of blending, this bringing together the church and the state, all of a sudden the church was able to enter a time of, re- of uh, rest, a time of kind of prosperity, um, because we had been suffering and under persecution up until that time. There are other historians, however, who tell a different story, who, who look back at history and they said, you know what, the truth is, is that the church by that time, by 300, had already taken over the Roman Empire. They had done it in spite of the fact that they were being persecuted, in spite of the fact that they were being oppressed by the state itself. They had already taken over the empire. Constantine didn't convert, they say, because somehow the church needed him. God didn't get Constantine's heart because somehow he needed Constantine to back up the church. The church was doing fine. They say, in fact, Constantine may have converted because he needed the church's support. And he knew it. Because in 250 years, they had taken over the empire. How? Because they had actually lived out the things that James was teaching about. They went out and they found those who were on the fringes. They found all those who needed help, who needed a voice, who needed support, who needed provision. And they took care of them. For 250 years, and as a result, they took over the greatest empire that the world was ever, has ever known. I want to remind you of what I said at the beginning. You know how sometimes we look at that list and we say, how could this, how could something this simple, this insignificant, make a difference in this world? The truth is we have a picture of it. That by living out the words that James had spoken, which are really the words that Jesus had spoken, which are really the words that the prophet had spoken, which are the words that God had spoken on Mount Sinai, by by living out these words, they had taken over the world without ever raising a sword, without ever staging a coup, they had taken over the world. They had done what mattered. So what do we do with that? You guys, I I think, again, with James, the homework's always obvious, isn't it? What do we need to do? We need to go out and take care of people who need us to take care of. We need to go out and come alongside people who are in a bad place, who are on the fringes, who are powerless. That's easy. What does that mean? I'm going to give you guys three things that you can do that will help us get there. One is this. Start paying attention to the people that are on the fringes. I want you to go home and at some point this weekend, this week, sit down and actually write out a list of who are those people in our society, in our culture, who are on the edges, who don't have the power, who are on the fringes that need, that need a connection, that need the church to be the church. Who are they? Orphans and widows? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. But what about, what about also, what about the refugees? What about the immigrants? What about the ex-cons? What about, what about the, the undocumented? What about those who are suffering from mental illness or from emotional distress and distractions? What about those 
who, who are elderly, who have been abandoned? What about the homebound? What about the deaf? What about the, the blind? You guys sit down and actually write out a list. Open your eyes so that you begin to see far more people than we usually do. Far more people than we might if we look at just that and we say, the orphans and the widows, and we leave it at that rather than seeing the category that God is trying to bring out. God is trying to raise our awareness. So take time to learn how to see those who God is speaking about. Second is this. Sit down second with your schedule. And look at all the time that you, as busy as you are, it's just loaded up with stuff to do and say, where am I going to take time Find time, make time to actually do what God has called me to do. To invest in the lives of others. And it doesn't mean just that I can have time to go have coffee on a one-time basis and just say, hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. God says, no, when we visit, we visit with intent. We visit with intent to build a relationship. We visit with intent to walk alongside of and to walk with and to assist. So get it on your calendar. You know, you could do, for example, yesterday we, we had people that showed up to load up turkeys and load up bags and give out gift cards and all that. You could get involved with something like that. You could get involved with, uh, you could get involved with, there are care facilities in town. And I can guarantee you, my wife works at one and they always need people that have time to help. Sometimes just time to visit. You could do that. I know that if you want any good ideas, Ken. Ken Bell is always out there doing something. If you want to see somebody who lives this out, talk to him. He knows of, he could give you 50 different ways that you could plug into the lives of others to impact them. Third is this. Learn to listen to God. Learn to listen better to God so that we keep ourselves unstained, un uninfluenced, undistracted by this world so that we keep investing in the things that actually matter, that we keep investing in the things that actually have to do with eternity and the kingdom of God. We keep investing in those things whose ripple will have a positive effect on this world instead of just hoping that we invest in the things we can count on. Amen? Amen.